grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. Our first lesson for this last Sunday after Epiphany, also Transfiguration of our Lord's Sunday, is found recorded in 2 Kings chapter 2 beginning at verse 1. There were two that were standing next to Jesus on that holy mountain when he transfigured himself in all his glory. It was Moses and Elijah. And we hear about Elijah here in 2 Kings, the one of two that was actually taken directly into heaven without facing death. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah was traveling with Elisha from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The sons of the prophet who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord is taking your master away from you? Then he said, Yes, I know. Be quiet. Then Elijah uh, said to him, Elisha, stay here, because the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as surely as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. Then the sons of the prophet who were in Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord is taking your master away from you? He said, Yes, I know. Be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here because the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, As surely as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Then fifty men from the sons of the prophet came and stood and watched them from a distance while the two of them were standing at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, folded it together, and struck the water. The water divided to the right and to the left. Then the two of them crossed on dry land. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask me for whatever I can do for you before I am taken from you. Then Elisha said, Let there be a double portion of your spirit on me, he said. You have asked for a difficult thing. If you see me being taken from you, it will surely be yours. But if not, then it will not. While they were walking and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire came and separated them. So Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha was watching and crying out, My father, my father, Israel's chariot and its charioteers. Then he did not see him anymore. The word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, beginning at the third verse. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled among those who are perishing. In the case of those people, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from clearly seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is God's image. Indeed, we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. And ourselves as your servants 
for Jesus' sake. For the God who said, let light will shine out of darkness, is the same one who made light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. We read from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, beginning at the, the second verse. This is the transfiguration account as recorded by the Gospel writer Mark. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were alone by themselves. There he was transfigured in front of them. His clothes became radiant, dazzling white, whiter than anyone on earth could bleach them. And Elijah appeared to them together with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say because they were terrified. A cloud appeared and overshadowed them, and a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded. It is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 beginning at verse 3. I'd like to read these words once again. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled among those who are perishing. In the case of these people, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from clearly seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is God's image. Indeed, we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For the God who said light will shine out of darkness is the same one who made light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm going to explain something that I believe it's going to come across as being extremely confusing. First, P, First Corinthians is not really First Corinthians, it's Second Corinthians, and Second Corinthians is not really Second Corinthians, it's actually Third Corinthians. But we have two letters, so First Corinthians is First Corinthians in what we have in the Bible, and Second Corinthians is obviously Second Corinthians. But First Corinthians did come before Second Corinthians in when it was written. Let me explain further. Hopefully not confusing. The Apostle Paul founded the Corinthian congregation, which was in Greece. And it was made up of mostly Gentiles. He did this during his second missionary journey. When he was on his third missionary journey, the Apostle Paul found out that there was some very serious and severe spiritual problems and even abuses within the church, especially in one case in the area of marriage. So the Apostle Paul 
went to Corinth to deal with the matter. And after he left, he will, from Ephesus, write a letter to them, really reinforcing all the stuff that he had been saying. The people will actually respond to a letter back to him, and he then will respond to that letter response, which we know as 1 Corinthians. See, that very first letter is a lost letter. We don't know what happened to it. And God in his infinite wisdom did not choose to have that letter included in the Holy Scriptures, in, in the Scriptures and in the New Testament. But that second letter was included. Now, after this, the Apostle Paul is going to send the pastor Timothy to go and check up on the congregation to see how they're doing and, and really how they responded to his letter. He doesn't hear, when he does meet up with Timothy, he doesn't hear very much from Timothy, and we do not know why. So he decides to send Titus to now go and look into the matter. Paul actually gets very anxious about why Titus has gone so long, so he actually leaves Ephesus, makes his way over to Macedonia, and, and possibly going to Philippi itself, where he had established another congregation. He finally meets up with Titus to hear what's going on, and the good news is a lot of the matters have been taken care of, especially the one on marriage. But now there were new things bringing up, and that led Paul to deal with them in what we call 2 Corinthians, which is actually his third letter. One of the things that he had to address was some of the members in the church were questioning his apostleship. They saw Paul as really in a lesser apostle, and, and, that there, and therefore what Paul was saying was probably less. It, it, what he was preaching is, is probably a less of a message because there were other apostles. In fact, there were false prophets going around and false teachers known as super apostles. And they were coming with messages that were wooing and wowing people and here putting down Paul, who was preaching the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul will make it very clear to them in this second letter that he did not come using methods that, unlike those false prophets and those super apostles, they were using things that were deceptive and shameful. And in fact, Paul made it very clear that we did not distort the word of God in any way. But some people felt that Paul was holding back, that Paul had veiled his message, and there were secret things, and why is Paul not revealing these simple things? Why is he holding things back from us? Almost sounds like the very same logic that, that Satan was using in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Hey, eat that tree. God, God doesn't want you to become like God. So go eat from the tree. Paul makes it very clear that if his gospel is hidden or veiled in any way, it is ultimately veiled only to those who are perishing. When I hear that word perishing, 
Immediately, I can't help but think of John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Those who are perishing are those who have rejected the Lord in unbelief, who have hardened their heart against the Lord. And these people who have hardened their heart against the Lord, you can't blame the gospel. You can't blame the message that Paul was preaching to them, this good news of Jesus Christ. This message is powerful. This is the message that has the power of God. The Holy Spirit works through this message. This message is not tainted. This message is not weak. This is the message of God. So the problem is not the gospel. The problem, as Paul points out, is the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from clearly seeing the light of the gospel. We know that this God of the ages is Satan himself, the evil angel, along with the demons, went at war against God and, and clearly lost, was, was sent out of Heaven and hell was made for the devil and his evil angels, and really all who reject the Lord in unbelief. But what a unique name, a rather strange one. Why would you ever want to refer to Satan as a god? And you'll notice that translators always use small g. He's clearly a fake god, a god who likes to think he is god, once again, go back to the temptation in the Garden of Eden. You eat from this tree and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he too is, is a God who likes to think he's God. When I hear this term God, once again, it was my home pastor who confirmed to me. He's now with the Lord, but I remember in his sermons, he would constantly say, that Satan is mighty, but God is almighty. Satan has limited power, but don't underestimate his power to tempt and to deceive and to lead one away from Christ. Why is he called the God of this age? Well, the God of the, the being the God of this age, this age will not last forever. This age will one day end. We do not live for the here and now of this age. We're not trying to get uh, you know, the, the most out of life and live life to the fullest and, and get the best bang for your buck. That, that's not what our purpose here is. Our purpose is to prepare for the life to come. Our, our purpose is to understand that in Christ Jesus, we are citizens of heaven and heirs of everlasting life. But Satan is the focus now. Even very Satan himself tempted Jesus by telling him that he would give him all the world's power and control and wealth. But it was Jesus who would ultimately reply, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Satan is a god of this age because he would love for us to think that here and now we establish our forever home when our actual forever home is being with the Lord in heaven. It is Satan who has blinded people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That begs the question, how does he do it? If you have the gospel of Jesus Christ, what is he replacing it with? 
Well, there are only two main teachings in the Bible. There's the law and the gospel. We know that the law shows us our sins and a need for a Savior, and the gospel shows us our Savior and salvation. But the thing we have to understand is the law, which is, which is powerful in and of itself, it's God's word. You know, God is revealing his holy will to us. But the one thing that God didn't establish was for the law to have the power which shows us our sins to actually get us to stop sinning. Instead, it shows us a need for a Savior because we can't save ourselves. The gospel, on the other hand, does have the power. It calls us to faith, and since the Holy Spirit works through that gospel, the Holy Spirit is the one who calls us to faith, working through that gospel. For faith has to have an object, and the object of saving faith is Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. So the gospel has power. But Satan would love us to go, instead of looking to the gospel, look to the law. Look to yourself. Think that you are God. Think that you can earn it. Think that you can, that you can win God's favor by what you do. Thinking that you have the free will to choose, even though you're by nature a sinful, sinful human being, and without the Lord, you, you cannot be saved. It's only by God's grace that we can call ourselves children of God. The law does not save. We call this work righteousness. The idea that by my own righteousness, by my own good works, I can win heaven. When in actuality, I can't. It's a lie of Satan. Let me give you an example. I hear all the time people saying that when it comes to salvation, all you have to do is believe. Now, yes, it is through faith in Jesus Christ that we are saved, clearly taught, like in John 3.16. But all you have to do is believe. It puts the emphasis on you. It sees faith, which is trust and confidence in what Christ has done as your work. And if you don't do this work, you can't be saved. But that's not how faith works. Faith in the gospel is to understand that that faith is a gift of God. It is God who calls us to faith. It is God who keeps us in that one true faith. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, working through the gospel. But again, many believe that all you have to do is believe and you will be saved. Now, Please understand, I'm not trying to nitpick over words. But to see faith as a gift of God is clearly taught by God himself. The Apostle Paul, writing through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, states this. He says, for the God who said light will shine out of darkness is the same one who made light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. The very God who made the heavens and the earth, and remember, there was all water all around the earth. There was, there was darkness all around the earth. The first thing God did on the very first day is to make light. The sun, moon, and stars will be on the fourth day. But he created light out of darkness. 
And what did he use? Nothing. Except his almighty power and word. He said, let there be light, and there was light. And this very God performs the impossible, a miracle, when he calls you to faith. And that faith which lights in your hearts to trust in the gospel. Once again, faith is clearly a gift of God for whom we cannot thank enough because without this saving faith, we too would be unbelievers who are perishing. Did you notice how he describes the gospel? Earlier, he points out that the gospel is the glory of Christ who is God's image. And then a couple verses later, he speaks of the gospel of the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. As soon as one hears that word glory, how can you not but help look at that Mount of Transfiguration? We do not know which mountain it was exactly. There's all kinds of speculations, which I find interesting and fascinating. But on that holy mountain, and it's not the mountain that's important, but what he did on the mountain. Before Peter, James, and John, he transfigured in all his glory. His clothes were like as white as white could ever be. White like lightning. It was so bright that, that the apostles there couldn't even look up. And then appears Moses and Elijah coming back from heaven, and they were talking. We know in one of the Gospels that they were talking about his departure. In, in the original language, it's the word exodus, that he could not stay here. He could not stay in this glory. He would have to humble himself and not make full and constant use of his divine power and glory as he made his way to Jerusalem and there with his perfect life, offer the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world once and for all. He would have to humble himself in order to be our redeemer, but he wouldn't stay in that state of humiliation. He would be exalted after his resurrection or along with his resurrection. He would be exalted making full and constant use of that divine power and glory to prove that he is our redeemer. The Son of God is the one who saved us. And what a beautiful thing to know. As now we look to begin a new season of the church year, the season of Lent. This is the season of the church year where we focus in on Jesus' suffering and death. You'll notice that, that the music will be more soft and, and, and will be more of a minor key. It will be kind of like more like funeral music. Because as we look at the cross of Jesus Christ and all the suffering that he had to go through and the sacrifice he made once and for all, we have to realize that he's dying for our sins, that he's paying the price for my sins. And the one who's paying for it is the Son of God. This is not just a human being who had faced a lot of injustices and was put to the cross even though he was an innocent man. No, this is the Son of God who is the Son of Man. And therefore we are saved 
once again by God himself and God alone. Therefore, it is not surprising that the Apostle Paul will conclude in saying that when we come to preach, we do not preach ourselves. That's what the super apostles do. That's what the false prophets do. That's what false teachers do today. They preach themselves. They look to themselves. They praise themselves. He says, no, we preach Jesus Christ. We preach Jesus as Lord. Even that phrase, Jesus as Lord, we hear over and over again. The Apostle Paul will say that no one can call Jesus as Lord except by the Holy Spirit. This is what we confess with our lips. This is what we believe in our hearts, that it is Jesus who saved us, who is our Lord, the very Son of God. Paul was just simply a servant of the people. For Christ's sake, he answered to the Lord as he served the people. And a faithful minister must understand that he is a servant who is not the Lord and master and leader of the church. He is a servant who carries out his leadership role in that servant role. And one of the most beautiful things that any servant can do is promote and proclaim and point people to Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ. To him and him alone who is the light of this world through the darkness of this world and through the darkness of sin and guilt and the fear of death. To him this light of the world be the glory forever and ever. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran, and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemevlutheran.org. May God bless you today and every day.